So you chat with Michael Severe every once in a while and you find out there's a new adventure on the horizon. There's a, something a little bit new. Michael's a television guy, then a radio guy and a and work for the city of uh, Papillion and now an entirely new adventure. And he's here to talk about that and some other things. Michael, thanks for your time. I appreciate it having me on. Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a unique adventure. I, I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm, I'm as nervous as a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs because this is something I don't I have no experience in at all. Well, it's it, what, what intrigues me is that you uh, are not at all afraid to reinvent yourself in an era when we tell young people all the time, don't be afraid to reinvent yourself, right? And so you've sort of taken that uh, and run with it. Yeah, I always, when I talk to the kids, I always tell them, um, you know, be a mutual fund. A mutual fund doesn't have one major stock that supports your entire life, right? If that stock plummets, you don't lose all your money. You get a mutual fund, you get 100,000 stocks, however, whatever kind it is. And so I always tell people that, but this was, I was not expecting this. Um, I honestly thought when I took the job at the city of Papillion, I thought maybe myself, maybe 10 years, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 54 next week. Um, I thought 10 years, uh, and then we'll figure something out. You know, maybe we'll retire. My wife is four years younger than me. So I thought maybe, maybe that would be the case. Never thought about leaving. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to miss the place. I'm going to miss the people. Um, but you know, it's an organization that I believe in. Um, people ask me to do it, so I'm doing it. So this is the Jet uh, Award Foundation. Yeah, I'll be um, Johnny the director. Jet, yeah. Johnny yep, yep. Rogers, um, yep. Johnny the Jet. Um, generations of Nebraskans and college football fans know him as one of the most electric, brilliant college football players in an era that was different than the era we're playing in now. This oh, was yeah. in the '60s and 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 into the early '70s. So we'll talk a little bit about Johnny the Jet in a couple of minutes. But tell us about the job, executive director of the foundation that's not that old. Um, that um, that celebrates uh, college football. So tell us what it's about. Yeah, so tw in 2010, Johnny came up with the idea, you know, he said, well, I'm thinking about putting together some sort of award for returners because there really isn't one. You know, we all know that the, the Lombardi and you have the Nagurski and you have the Lot and you have the Heisman. You have all these different awards. Usually they're designated positions. There was not one for returners. Um, and so he came up with the idea in 2010. He came to NRG. I was at 1620 at the time came in RG and he said, I, I want to put this together. How can we do it? So um, we were a sponsor of it. He needed somebody to kind of put together a voting group, um, kind of a media coordinator. And so I volunteered to do that. Um, and that and in 2011 was the first year we gave the award to a guy named Joe Reed, who just so happened to have the nickname, the jet. It was not on purpose. Did not know his nickname was the jet until after we gave him the award. Um, so Joe Reed out of Arkansas got the first award in 2011. And since then, it's been all volunteers. You know, um, it went from being just about the award to the foundation being about scholarships for Metro Community College, um, trying to get kids into the trades. And not just kids. I say kids. The average age right now for a recipient of the Jet Award Foundation Scholarship is 28 years old. So the majority of these people are going back to school or never went to school at all. And now we're starting something new. They're going to go and they're going to be an electrician. They're going to be a truck driver. They're going to be a cook, um, a chef. They're going to do something like that. And so the idea behind it was to get as many kids as we could, many people as we could into the trades, because we know the shortage. You hear it constantly from people in plumbing, electricians. You hear it. They need more people. So that was the idea about two, 2014. 
That's when we started doing that. Um, I was away from the award for a little while when I left and went to the newspaper. Um, and Damon Benning and Gary Sharp kind of took over for about three years. And then I came back in, started helping out again. And ever since then, I've been on the board and serving as media coordinator. And then about six months ago, they came to me and they said, hey, we got a grant from the Lincoln Foundation uh, to put an executive director in place. Uh, would you do it? And at first I was like, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of comfortable. I have a job that has great insurance. I have a job that has great retirement. I have a job that has great people. It's got good hours, um, doing something I enjoy. And so I wasn't sure about it. But then the Lincoln Foundation came to me and said, hey, we want you to do it. We want you to be the executive director. They voted me on the board to be the executive director. So here I am. So there's sometimes in life when you just can't say no. And apparently this yeah. is one of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be tough because, I mean, I, I really, I do... As a guy who went to a four-year school, and that was not my goal, like right, I didn't know I was going to go to college. I went to the army, um, trying to figure out myself, trying to figure out my life, what I was going to do. Um, when I was very young, I wanted to be a doctor as a kid. Um, then I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, and so I started, you know, what am I going to do with myself? Uh, worked at the grocery store for years. I worked worked at pizza places. Um, went to the army, came out, and then as soon as I started in school, I kind of fell in love with college. I did. I I, I enjoyed the grind. Um, I was one of those kids that took, you know, 24, 27 hours when I could. I, I like to go all day. I like to just, um, and I was working a full-time job. At one point I was working a full-time job in a different state. So I would leave on a Friday, work all the way Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then come back on Monday um, to Huntsville, Texas. Uh, and yeah, I, I just loved it. And so I realized that for me, yes, a four-year college worked out, but there's thousands of people that doesn't even make sense for them to go to four-year college. Uh, they don't need a lot of those classes that we have to have to take. What they need is a job, and that's what Metro does. It it finds jobs for people. I, I'm going over a lot of the numbers as I'm taking over this job, and in the last three years, that number I gave you about 28 years old is now the average age is 29.6. So that's just in the last three years how it's gone up. You know, it, it it's just more and more people trying to go out and make a career for themselves by going to Metro. And we're helping them do that. We've, we've given up almost a thousand, um, exact number. We have um, we have 94 total scholarships that have been completed, but we have a number of people who are still going through the two-year programs. And so by the end of this next year, we'll have over a hundred people who have gone through, gotten a scholarship and gone through and graduated at Metro. So, you know, Michael, it's easy for us um, in this um, era and maybe others to be cynical. You know, you've, you've got a foundation, you have an award, it's about football, it's about college football, it's about um, honoring the best return people in college football. But it sounds to me like this is really about educating people. This is really about making money for people to better their lives. Yeah, I mean, a big part of it, of course, is the award. It's why it mm -hmm. started. You want to recognize the best returner in college football. Um, Johnny had a great line early on. He said, you know, you go to the, not necessarily the Heisman, but you go to the Lombardi Award, you go to the Nagurski Award, you go to the Outland Trophy, you go to all those award shows. And in general, the highlights aren't always exciting. I guarantee you that every time you go to the Jet Award, the highlights you see are exciting because it's somebody with a 100-yard return or a 60-yard punt return or something. So it's it's about the excitement of that particular thing happening in football. But it's also about the recipients of, of the award. It's about finding people who need a help up, you know, a hand up, and giving them 
500, 1,000, whatever the cost is to go get that two-year degree. And the majority, the great thing about it is, look at the numbers again as I'm going through them as I'm getting ready to start July 1st, is that the majority of the people who get the scholarship, they're finishing in two years. They're going in and getting it done in the amount of time you'd expect. Personally, it took me a little bit longer <laughs> to finish college, starting and stopping. But these these people who are getting this award or, or getting the scholarship are going through and, and getting out in two years. So um, in the 11 years, I guess it's maybe 12 years. Yep. I don't know how many times years. you've done this. Yep. So w where has it um, grown in the sort of big picture? You mentioned those other awards. Where has this grown in the group of, the pantheon of, the assortment of major college awards? Yeah, and that's part of the reason I'm coming on as a, as a full-time employee. We want to grow that nationally. But to give you an example of the way it's grown, in 2011, we had the award gala at Johnny's Steakhouse. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. You, you go to a place, um, excuse me, Anthony's. I always get those two confused. Anthony's Steakhouse, um, just off of the interstate uh, at 72nd Street, which is gone now, sadly. Another steakhouse gone from Omaha. But we had about 240 people there. The room only held about 210 so it was it was great, but it was packed in there. Uh, this past year, we had it at Baxter Arena. We had over two thousand um, people going to the gala. So that shows you how much it's grown locally. Uh, the scholarships obviously have grown, and and more and more people recognize now that when a guy returns a kickoff for a touchdown, that you'll hear it more about. Well, you know, he's up for the the Jet Award now, or you know, we've had a couple. We've had a lot of success with our winners going to the NFL and being successful. So that helps because when a guy like, you know, McCaffrey forever, you know, leaves um, his team and goes to the Niners, when that happens, you know, they mentioned that he was a Jet Award winner. And so that's happening more and more. Um, the winner we had this year, Darius Davis, was uh, was a fourth round pick. When he was drafted, they mentioned that he had won the Jet Award the previous year. Um, so it's I, I think it's growing a little bit. But I mean, we need to work on our social media is just is brutal. Um, I. You start a job and the first thing you do, like, well, I need to get the passcodes for the Twitter and the and the Facebook. Nobody has any idea where that stuff is. Nobody knows where any of that is. Um, we had to get, fix the website, make sure it's 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 more friendly and and user you users know where to go and find stuff. So you got to do that. Um, we need to get a national uh, sponsor. We need to just get the word out about the award. There's so many things that need to be done. That's why they needed a full time person. And at least for the next three years, because that's all in the grant is. That's what I'll be working on. Michael Severe is the new, I should say, first executive director of the Jet Award Foundation. And honestly, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to ask Michael next, what does the executive director of the Jet Award Foundation do? But it mm -hmm. sounds like you've already told me, first of all, we've got to come in and uh, sweep out the office. And then we've got to make <laughs> sure that the, the door locks are right. And that yeah. basically sounds like everything. Well, and, and, you know, a big part of it is grant writing. Um, and... Luckily, my wife has did grant writing for 15 years. So I at least I can talk to her. I've never done it before. Now they have hired. There is an organization that we work with that helps with it. And so that's a big thing, you know, getting more grants written just so we can get more money in the coffers for more scholarships. So that's a big part of it. That's like number one. And then the other ones are, as I mentioned, you know, getting the social media up. Um, there's a bunch of things I want to do during the season that I've never had time to do. You know, I, I want to every week take the top four returns and say, hey, here are the top four returners. Now these people are, you know, they have a chance to win the award at the end of the year, um, have, have a midseason watch list. There's a lot of things I want to do with the award. And at the same time, I want to recognize these 
almost a hundred scholarship recipients, find out what they're doing. Go, go see if they are driving a truck or if they are a plumber and be able to do some videos on them and be able to post those. It goes, here's the success story from the Jet Award scholarship. That's, that's the kind of stuff that I, at least on, on my initial list, I want to get done. So how much does uh, Johnny Rogers um, drive the, the, the mission, drive the philosophy, drive the values of this? But we have a board, you know, and that's really the, who I report to. Uh, Vince Lisi is the president of the board. You know, maybe you know Vince. Vince um, is with Berkshire Hathaway, which is a longer name now than it used to be just Berkshire Hathaway Ambassador Realty. So he's with them. Very successful. He's our president. Um, and then we have a bunch of great people from the community. Um, Terry Kroger, former publisher at the Omaha World Herald, is on the board as well. Uh, a lot of great people. Uh, coach Will, uh, Coach Reed, who was at Central for a number of years as a football coach and, and a golf coach, he's on there as well. He's been with the award since the very beginning. So that's who I report to. I report to the board. Um, Johnny is on the board. Um, I always run, as a media coordinator, we always run the winners by Johnny. Like, hey, go look at their video. Tell me what you think. Um, a lot of times we'll get a uh, final three, and then we'll have him look at all three to kind of help out with that. But for the most part, um, Johnny's the face. And if we're going to go on a meeting with somebody to help raise some money, Johnny's probably going to come with us because, you know, it's, it's what he does. He's about as charismatic as a dude that you meet. Um, he's always on. So he does that. But for the most part, it's the board that sets the policy. It's the board that votes on the policy. It's the board that voted me in. And so that's who I that's who I cater to. I know the people I work with at the University of Nebraska would be very happy to hear me say, and Johnny Rogers is a graduate of the College of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Yeah. So there you go. You know, he went to classes when he went back to school. He yeah. was in classes with my wife. Really? <laughs> yeah, when she because she graduated in 95, 91 to 95, she went there. And yeah, she was in a couple classes with Johnny um, as he was going back to get his degree. And by the way, that program at Nebraska, you, I think you know, it's still in place. If you if you are a scholarship athlete at the University of Nebraska, mm -hmm. that scholarship, chance to go back to school, lasts. So you can, if it's 10 years, if it's 15, 20 years, you can go back to school and finish your degree whenever you're done, maybe playing ball or, or whatever you're doing. Yeah, I was always proud to know and learn that uh, Johnny did that. And we've had, a, of course, a number of people who've done that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's some people get celebrated. Steph Curry just walked here about a year ago to get yeah. in his graduation robe as a uh, now's Paul greatest is going. You know. Now's Paul's going back to school. Now's Paul, who great you know, went to Nebraska, played in Nebraska, had a successful eight nine year career in the NFL, and then had some had some troubles. But he is going back to school so he can get his degree. Great, great, and and Michael, just so um, the Nebraska folks. Um, Get a little bit of uh, back padding here. This is one of two major awards. Isn't the Outland Award also a Nebraska? The Outland thing? is also yeah. Well, we have three. Um, yeah. You have the Remington, oh, the Remington, which is yeah. out of Lincoln, and right. then the Outland, which is out of Omaha. It's it's usually the same weekend, and sometimes that's very convenient because a couple of years ago, uh, the Center for Michigan uh, actually won both awards. So uh, one night he went to the Outland, and then on Saturday he actually Thursday came and went to the Outland Award. Friday went back and did a workout because he was getting ready for the draft and then came back for the Remington on, uh, on Saturday. So we have, we have three national awards. So state. when, so Michael, when people say here, if Nebraska's football team's ever good again, wow, this could be awesome. Right. Is that the deal? Yeah. Well, you know, so many Lombardi and Remington winners have been from Nebraska. Um, we haven't had a jet award winner from Nebraska. The closest was the morning Pearson L was the second year of the award, no, third year of the award, when he had an incredible season. He had a couple of kickoff returns. He had a big one against Iowa that turned the game. 
and he was a finalist at that year, um, but didn't win it. But that's the closest we've had. And so, yeah, the success of Nebraska, you can really determine by a few things, like how many draft picks they're getting, how many major awards the guys are up for, um, and obviously winning games. So that, that, that would be big if they, they actually start doing that. So Johnny Rogers um, in the late 60s and early 70s was, as we mentioned, as dynamic a football player as there was in, in, in college football. For a couple of generations of people who may not know too much about this guy, give me a little bit of an idea of what he meant to college football in 69, 70, 71, those years. Well, you know, not too long ago, ESPN did you know, kind of 100 years of college football and saluted all these different players. And when it came to the return game, they saluted, they saluted three guys. Um, and Johnny was one of them. Um, Johnny is listed as the all purpose guy on the century team. Uh, again, recognizing a hundred years of college football. Um, and it's funny cause he's under six, he was under six foot tall. He was one of the few very dominant offensive guys to be up for awards, win awards under six foot tall. Um, could have gone to the NFL, but Johnny will tell you, Johnny was always looking for the money, right? And so the CFL was giving, offering him more money, so he went to the CFL. Um, I don't know that was a great choice, although he was very successful in the CFL. When he tried to come back to the NFL with the Chargers, he had some hamstring problems, so it didn't work out for him. But but Johnny is a guy who, as I said, is always on. Um, he He's always got something positive to say. He goes and speaks to groups all over the state. Um, I remember one day uh, I got a text from my wife and it was a picture of my son. He had just had a surgery. So his head was wrapped like a mummy and he's standing there with his, his hand out doing the Heisman pose standing next to Johnny Rogers. And I was like, what is going on? And he goes to grammar schools and he goes to elementary schools and he goes all over and he just speaks and encourages constantly encourages people to, as he always says, you know, every day is game day, not every other day. And I, and I, and I, I love that phrase. You, call it whatever you want and make fun of it if you want. But I've always felt that way. Every day you have an opportunity to make a difference in your life and someone else's life. Hopefully one of those works out. Um, maybe both work out in a certain day. Johnny believes that every day. He really does. And that's what that's why this thing got going the way it did. It was it was by sheer force of will that Johnny Rogers, Denny Drake, and uh, and Coach Reed pulled this thing out of an idea and made it an actual thing. Um, the first year, they weren't even sure they were going to get into Anthony Steakhouse. They were thinking about just doing it in a boardroom and having a vote and then putting the name out. But they ended up at the last minute. So, like, it's it's noon. They've got to have enough money to be able to pay for the thing by four. They all went out, met with different organizations, TD Ameritrade, others, and over those four hours got enough money raised to be able to have the event like three days later. So, I mean, sh sh got Denny, you got to give credit to Coach Reed and uh, and Johnny Rogers for, for making this thing happen. So grassroots, pound the pavement, yeah. um, uh, make people understand in Omaha and Nebraska that this is a valuable thing. And then just kind of has it grown sort of incrementally since? It has. It really has. If you look at just, well, it, it's changed, right? Because like I said, 2011, it was all about the award. And by 2014, it was about the scholarships and both going on, the award and the scholarships. And then, as I mentioned, the amount of, obviously, people getting the scholarship, but the amount of people knowing about the award, the amount of people going to the events um, every year. This 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 agreement we have with Baxter is awesome because it's center, obviously centrally located. 
which I'm a huge fan of. It seems like every event I have to go to is way out West now. Um, and I'm a Midtown kid. Uh, so I'm, I appreciated being seven blocks from my house. That's awesome. But getting there with Baxter is perfect because you can do the tables, right. And people can sit there and, and they can listen and everything else. But at the same time, you can have, you know, $10 tickets and people can sit in the actual lower bowl at Baxter, which is great. If you want to just go and check it out. And we did, we had a, uh, you know, about a hundred people that did that the first year. And I think it'll grow. Um, and then we have an after party and, and part of the sitting in the stands ticket was for the after party with a band and, and kind of stuff. So it, it's, it's growing and we're getting more and more ideas. Um, but the, the hard part has been all those people I mentioned, those first three people, and then the more, and then the people who are also volunteers, they're all volunteers and they all have jobs and some have multiple jobs. This will be my one job. And so every day, this is what I'll be concentrating on. And it won't be like it was where, whether it was the radio station or the paper or the Stephen Pillion, where I was working like on my off time, putting together videos or making sure that the votes were happening or whatever like that. Now it'll be my time to do it all the time. Is this the first time you've been the executive director of something? Oh yeah. I've, <laughs> I've always been, you know, I've been in media. I've always been like that. Um, I started in TV in 95 um added radio to it in 2004 um went to the world herald in in 2014 um was there for five years went back to the radio station got very burned out on doing every single day sports talk it just i don't know what happened i i, I know what happened it was covid covid happened i realized i don't need sports what the heck's going on this is i don't need to be watching it all day 12 hours a day i want to watch what i want to watch you know and I want to spend more time watching stuff with my kids and, and going to see Spider-Man into the multiverse and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that happened. And then I get this job at the City Papillion, which was like old school. I felt like I was back in Monroe, Louisiana, my first job doing, you know, stories about the fire department or doing stories about a senior center or doing a story about, you know, they have a, a garden, a community garden down the street. And I, I love that. It's what I've always loved about TV, putting those kind of things together and highlighting where tax dollars go and everything like that. So that's always been my my life. I've but executive director. It sounds nice, but I I don't I don't quite know everything. I have a meeting. The first meeting we have is on the fifth. It's July fifth, and it's to talk more about the grant. I have to get like um, it's a it's not a it's not a test, but I have to go through a uh, a series of classes to become a grant writer. I have to go through because it's a nonprofit. I have to go through a series of classes to be able to be approved for that as well. So that all starts on July fifth with a four hour meeting. Um, we'll do that. And then from there, we'll go. Awesome. Awesome. Michael Severe, the executive director, the first executive director of the Jet Award Foundation. It's an award that goes to uh, the outstanding return man in college football. Of course, Johnny Rogers is the driving force, the great Nebraska football player and uh, scholarships for uh, folks uh, who go to Metro College in mm -hmm. Omaha. Uh, I'm John Schrader, and this is watch the media. Michael, um, we know so many people in the media business uh, and a business that didn't just start changing yesterday when the internet was in, it was created. It's a business that evolves a lot. And we know a lot of people in the media business who are afraid of, of changing. They just keep going to that same job every day because they don't know anything else. What would you say to someone at any age that it's okay you can try something different. It's okay. You'll be fine. Don't worry about 
you know, I'm going to say newspaper, radio, television, whatever it is, that's what you are trained to do. That's yeah. what you've done every day for the last 20 or 25 years. What do you say to somebody who's afraid of, um, of making that leap? First of all, I understand because yeah. there is no rush like doing something new every day. Um, we've talked about this before, but, you know, the newspaper's blank and then it's full. Then the next day it's blank again and then it's full. Same thing's true. You have a rundown in a news station. None of, the, none of that stuff's done by five, six and 10. Hopefully everything is done. Same thing with the radio show. You walk in at three o'clock in the morning, you're on air at six. By 10, you've done four hours. It's over. Now, now it goes to a podcast, obviously, but it's it's in the ether at that yeah. point. So it's it's hard to just leave the excitement and the thrill of it. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of people that have gone into PR and and gone back to school and and now they're either doing mortgages or real estate. I know a lot of people have done that um, and more and more are doing that, which is it's, it's kind of sad. We've lost some really quality journalists because either the business became they became jaded because of the way the business was or the, the business left them. You know, they started making too much more, too much money. They knew that they could bring somebody else or two people in for what that one person was getting paid. So they get pushed out. But I, I tell them there's a lot of great jobs out. Matter of fact, as you know, in Nebraska, we have more jobs available than we have people to fill them. We have a very low employment rate, which is nice. But at the same time, we have a lot of empty jobs. because There's nobody to fill them. And a lot of people are leaving the state. So there's fewer people to be able to take those jobs. And some of the people who used to come in who weren't necessarily legal aren't allowed to come in anymore. So they can't take the jobs. So there are jobs out there. Um, when I was looking for jobs on LinkedIn and Indeed, so many people were looking. Um, and it's a lot of those still aren't filled. And so if you think about leaving TV and, and leaving or leaving radio and leaving that excitement and the thrill of the day thing, realize that there's jobs out there that have better insurance than you have in the media, better retirement than you have in the media, and probably better hours. So, I mean, who has great hours in, in, working in the media? So all those things are out there. I, I, I encourage people to go look. Yeah, you know, the in some respects, the more successful you are in the media business, um, the worse the hours get. Yeah, the yeah, pay's yeah. not bad, but the hours get even worse, right? Swing shift. Is there a worse shift in the world if you are a parent than swing shift? I mean, because maybe you're up and you see your kids leave to go to school. Mm -hmm. By the time they're out of school, you're at work. Most people work through lunch. They don't go home because they live too far away. Then you get home after a 10 o'clock newscast here, East Coast 11 o'clock newscast. So your kids are in bed. It, it's almost impossible. That's why you saw Julie leave, uh, Julie Cornell leave, Brandy Peterson leave, because they want to be around their kids. And it's, a, it's a, yeah, but that's success. Success is working the swing shift in most businesses and TV. Now, radio, success could be anywhere. Drive time is a pretty good time to be at work. Um, and the morning show is a great time to be at work, but in terms of TV, yeah, the more you get promoted, the worst hours you have. As long as we're on the subject, Michael, yeah. and you can do this now from your perch, um, local radio and local television still as strong and as important to people's lives as we would hope they are. Well, local radio definitely has grown. Um, when I started working at the zone in 2004, Kevin and I on Unsportsmanlike Conduct were the only local full-time radio show on in Lincoln or Omaha. So you had an hour being done or two hours being done in the afternoon. Maybe a Dick Janda was doing a show. Um, and of course you had Sports Nightly, which at the time wasn't even on full-time in Lincoln and Omaha. Um, it was on the whole state, but those two cities, it was only on for a couple hours. Um, and then you had some national shows. You look now, 
Um, 97.3, the ticket in Lincoln is doing incredible things, hiring a lot of people, building an office in downtown Lincoln. Um, you see the zone here, 590 is established now with Hale Varsity Radio. It In local sports radio is still very influential in what's happening every day. Now, what's not is the old top of the hour news, right? Where that was where you got it. You literally tuned in at the top and sometimes the bottom of every hour to see what was happening both locally and nationally. Well, now what's happening locally and nationally is coming right into your Twitter or coming into whatever your social media is instantly. So that's not as obviously as effective. Local news, and I've always believed this, will always be important because they're going to cover things that nobody else is bothering to cover. And so that's always there for you. Um, is it as important as it used to be? Of course not. Because when you had three channels and then four channels, you had nowhere else to go. Now you have a thousand channels when you include all the podcasts that are out there, all the streaming that's out there. Every minute of the day, you could be watching something different for a hundred years. And I don't think you can watch everything. So, so obviously the news isn't as important, but I still think the first 10 minutes of it, mm -hmm. um, for the most part, are people still tune in for that. They still want to see what happened in Omaha today. And this, this is where you find out where it happened. And that's local news. And then then we have to make sure we get the meteorologist on there before they decide to flip the channels at like 10, 11 or 10, 12 or Well, that's why you do 10 on like 10, that. right? Right. You do 10 yeah, on 10 boom. now in most places because what you do is you come right in with your breaking news and you try to create a breaking news for every day. And then right out of your breaking news, what's your big story? And then a lot of times they'll swing it to Bill or whoever the meteorologist whoever the meteorologist is, whatever station it is, they swing it to them, give you a quick hit. Hey, we'll be back after at like 21 to give you the full um, weather cast, but we'll give you a little bit of it right now. Just And maybe sometimes some places even give you the top story in, in sports too mm -hmm. in that first 10 minutes. Well, here, I mean, if uh, the third string cornerback um, does something uh, important, <laughs> it could be in the first five minutes of the show. You know? Sure, or, the, or recruit signs or commits. That's right. If a 15-year-old sure. commits to Nebraska <laughs> in, in volleyball, right, then it's the lead story. So yeah. do, you, you have you – have, um, young children you have, you have children how is how how would you how do you view the the consumption patterns of of young people and um are are, are young people getting news and sports and are they getting it um uh, what they need to know based off my kids who are 14 and 17 no <laughs> they don't they don't they don't I'm like i i'm lucky enough to be around because I try to go to schools and I try to help young journalists as much as I can. So I'm around them and I know what they consume. My, my 14 year old um, reads constantly, gets most of his stuff off of YouTube where he looks up, you know, the history of a certain attack in the civil war because he wants to know details on Pickett's charge or something. That's my 14 year old. My 17 year old is playing video games and he's big into robotics and computers. And so he's doing all that stuff. And, I think they're they're completely oblivious to what's happening in sports. Um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of it because it wasn't like I was sharing that experience with my kids. My kids don't watch it at all. They may walk through the room and are you happy? Are you sad? Who are you cheering for, Dad? That <laughs> might be the only thing, but they're not going to sit and watch any of it. So that was never a part of our lives. But both of them are pretty worldly, but their stuff comes from, again, watching stuff on YouTube or seeing things uh, or listening to conversations that are happening on like a Twitch or something like that. That's where they get most of their stuff from. Wouldn't that have been awesome in that, in some respects when, 
when we were younger. I mean, I'm, I was in high school in the 1970s. And if you needed to know something about Pickett's charge, you had to go to the library and then you yeah. had to go through this, you go through yeah. this whole system. And now doggone it. Let me see Pickett's charge. Let me just type that in there and see if I can yeah. find it. Um, You're typing. So, they're just going Pickett's charge. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see the yeah. walking around campus and yes, yeah, so what talking, are you doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm getting my information. I'm, <laughs> my, I'm, my I'm mom doing research brought- for my paper, you know? My mom purchased in 1981 a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas, which I believe were a thousand dollars. And and that's how a lot of times when you thought of something or you needed something, that's where you went to. And you just went to the Encyclopedia Britannica, which was and I I kept these things for three moves before, during, and after college. And I had these giant banana boxes that hold essentially 40 pounds normally, and I have the books in there. And I kept moving them different places um and then the internet came along and i obviously didn't need them anymore but that's where we we got our information you went to the encyclopedia britannica you found the right part of it you paged through it and that's where you got it yeah the uh some people sort of think it's ironic and some of the old timers in in our media business if i can still say our media business with you Mm -hmm. um is is that the this generation um, and the generation before it and the generation before that has has had more information at their fingertips than anybody in the history of humankind. Exactly. I mean, it, it's there. It's how do we make sure that as we have a functioning democracy, not to get too deep into this thing, but as we have a functioning democracy, how do we make sure that, they're, that the, the information that young people are getting is valuable to our existence does that make very, sense it's very scary yeah. um even with my kids we'll, we'll have an argument over something and what he saw was some sort of rumor or maybe urban myth or and, and you know he buys into it because it's so it's so convincing at times that's a 17 or a 14 year old doing it the scary part is when it's a 45 year old person doing it who believes that because of what they listen to or what they read they now need to take action Mm-hmm. And, and 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 not just political action and not just, you know, standing in front of a building with a sign, but taking action. And that's the scary part of it. And we see it constantly. I mean, how many myths are are busted every day now with the way Facebook or or is set up to where something gets put out there and you'll go, this is not real, you know? Yeah. It's constant. It's and it's very scary that that stuff is out there and that people believe it. So um, as we wrap this up, I'll just ask mm-hmm. you, and before we get too far down this rabbit hole, uh, for, for a guy who, who who teaches this, but who spent most of his adult life working in the media business, how do I approach that with young people? How do we how do we make sure that yeah, that young people are, are 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 as curious as they need to be, are as discerning as they need to be, and maybe the forty five year olds and the sixty five year olds and the eighty five year olds as well. Um, we need to be curious and we need to be discerning. And I don't know if we can teach that. This is what's hard. You have to befriend people on both sides of a topic. Mm-hmm. When you are setting up your Twitter account or who's your friends on Facebook, you better have a cross section of everybody because that way you'll be able to hear what people believe on both sides. Now, maybe neither side is right, but at least you get to hear both. And we went from having two sources to confirm stuff. Now I believe you have to go get four or five because those two sources may be on the same side. They they may be against something and and they're going to put that information out. So you got to get more sources than you ever had before. And you have to have a diverse friend group. And when I say friend group, I'm not talking about the person that's in your phone. I'm talking about friend group in terms of who's on social media Mm -hmm. that you're following. And so that'll help you out. Like I, my wife used to kill me I mean, literally get mad 
because I would listen to Rush Limbaugh in the middle of the day. And I'd listen to about an hour um, because I wanted to know what, what was he saying. And then I wanted to be able to, you know, look up what he was saying and, and was it true what he was saying. And it, and it helps you with your information when you hear someone give you either misinformation or good information. It helps you because it makes you go research it. So listen to everybody, watch everybody, read everybody, and then and then make your own decisions. And try to follow experts. I know that's I know people can make fun of it now about it, but there are people that, you know, I know doctors who pull their hair out. They're like, this is all I care about. This is my this is my life. And you're some guy in your basement telling me this is not the way to do it. And he goes, I know I've been through peer research. I've been through placebo studies. I've been through all this. I know, but you're trying to, and that's frustrating. Yeah. I know for people who are experts. So give the experts the respect they deserve because of what they've learned. And then, you know, do the, your due diligence. Yeah. And uh, they're trained for a reason <laughs> and yeah. uh, they're trained to help us. Mm -hmm. And uh, science is not a bad thing. Science is a good thing. If we And John, it hasn't changed. Go back yeah. and read what happened when they were giving out the vaccine for the Spanish flu. Right. The same, they were people hundred years there. ago. Go back to Ben Franklin. Ben yeah. Franklin lost a child to, um, oh, help me. What was the, not the Spanish flu, it was, um, what was the thing that was in the blankets um, that they gave to the Indians? He lost he lost the child to whatever that particular virus mm -hmm. pandemic was. And they were just doing a, a vaccine type thing for it. And people were saying it was that's what killed his kid. He had to go out. You can read this. He wrote, this is not what happened. This is not why my child died. Mm -hmm. Scarlet fever, I think it was. He goes, yeah. that's why my child died, not because of this. And then you go and you look in the 1940s when they were handing out the sugar cubes for polio vaccines. There are people on the other side going, no, we don't know if this is good enough. This might not help you. This might kill you. All of that to every single time throughout history, we've gone through this and we've overcome it every time. Mm -hmm. For some reason, this time it's a little bit harder to overcome. And it's you still have people out there that are that are very critical of of this thing who I, th I think has saved millions of lives. But, you know, again, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a doctor either, but I do trust doctors more than I trust um, um, most everybody else. Who yeah, does yeah. yeah. All right. So we're, we're, we're out of that rabbit hole now. Yeah, yeah. And as and anybody who's ever listened to a conversation you and I have had, we could talk about this stuff forever. But I want to circle back uh, as I wrap this up, Michael, um, what's the most exciting thing and the most challenging thing, two-part question, in being the executive director of the Jet Award Foundation? I think the challenging thing is going to be able to get the national recognition that we hope to get, finding that national sponsor for our gala, um, getting out into the ears of people who both have the money to be able to help with the scholarships and the name to be able to get our name out there in terms of the award. That's that's obviously a, a big challenge. One of the hardest things is going to be the grant writing part of it. It's something I've never done before. That's something I have to dive into um, and, and realize that even as you're learning it, it's constantly changing and you're going to, you're going to fill a grant out. And it's going to come back to you and they're going to have a whole bunch of questions and you're going to send it back out and you have a bunch of questions. It's, it's a process. So that's going to be something that um, I really have to learn and understand. Um, but, you know, I, at, at this point, I have three years to try to get this, this award um, to the point where so many other football awards are. And I, again, I believe we have had great winners. Um, we've had people with big names in the sport. So I think that should help us. We need to get those alumni of the 12 years of the Jet Award. We need to get them to come back for the award show. We need to get them to be promote what the Jet Award means as well. I got to do that. Um, that's another big thing. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of challenges and a lot of things that um, I'll be working on starting in July. 
It must be exciting, though. You wouldn't have said yes. You didn't have to say yes. Um, you didn't have to take the job. So it must be an exciting um, adventure that you're looking at. It is. It is. It's exciting because it's something new. You know, I mean, uh -huh. anytime you do something new, it, it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's, it's a little bit out of my, my wheelhouse, but the job is to promote something that I believe in. And I think if you have a job where you're promoting something you believe in, you believe in the journalism department, you believe in journalism, it's a lot easier to teach it than it is if you're jaded and you don't believe it anymore. <laughs> um, I, I believe in the organization. So I, I think it, it's going to definitely be exciting. Well, I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on it. We'll, of course, keep in touch and, and congratulations. Thanks. Appreciate it, John. You know, Michael uh, Severe is the new executive director, the first executive director of the Jet Award Foundation, goes to the uh, outstanding return man in college football, of course, named after Johnny the Jet Rogers, one of the great college football players ever, and certainly one of the great Nebraskans, Nebraskans and Nebraska football players ever. So thanks for the time, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. No problem.